Um, if I don't know you, whoa. if I don't know you, um, and I didn't introduce myself earlier, I'm Jake, I'm the youth director here, glad you're here this morning. And we are working through uh, a series called Encounters with Jesus, we're working through John's Gospel, and throughout the Gospel, uh, Jesus, as he does in all the Gospels, is slowly unveiling himself to the disciples, showing who he really is, what he's really here to do. The way that John tends to do that in his gospel is someone will come to him and ask a question, and then Jesus gives a really long response. And it almost always entails him taking the question and saying, actually, let me adjust that a little bit. You're a little off on the question. Let me adjust that, and then I'll be able to understand, and you'll be able to understand who I really am. And today's passage is no exception. Um, Actually, today's passage is one of those passages, Taylor already read it in the um, Assurance of Forgiveness, one of those passages that's so well known, so foundational to Christian doctrine that it's almost hard to preach on. Um, and my guess is that most of us do not really need an explanation about what the text means, what it's saying. It's actually pretty clear what it's saying. Um, we need to believe it. We need to let it sink in. It needs to go to a level that it hasn't gone before. Um, and so today we're going to see the disciples ask a question this problem Jesus is answering, which is everybody thinks, everybody believes they can find their way to God. Everybody believes they can make their way to God. And Jesus says, yeah, you can, but only through me, only by faith in me. Um, And he's going to do that by talking about um, three things. Um, My points are a little convoluted, so sorry if you're a a note taker. But uh, Jesus is going to talk about the house of the Lord the way to the house of the Lord, and how to find the way to the house of the Lord. Um, So let me read our passage, uh, some of it we've just heard. John 14, chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, You would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for its truth and its clarity, uh, that it is understandable to us. Would you give us the courage and ability to believe it? Um, and would it sink in deep? We pray this in your name, Father. Amen. It is nearly impossible not to have purpose in life. Even the atheist has a purpose in life, right? 
You, everybody's got to pick something for their life to revolve around, whether that's friendships or amazing experiences or family or food or helping other people or work or success or money. Everybody has some purpose or multiple purposes in life. They say, this is what life is about. This is what, I, this is what it means to have a satisfying existence. And whatever you choose for your life to be about determines everything that you do. Your purpose in life will determine everything that you do. If your the goal in life, and this is common, is for a lot of people to say, life is about great friendships. It's about amazing relationships with other people. Then all of your life will revolve around making and keeping friends. You'll spend as much time as you possibly can making friends. You'll give things up for them. You'll do things for them. You'll give them gifts. And all of your life will revolve around that. But unfortunately, virtually everything you can make your life about, you can lose. It can be lost. It can go away. Um, and it comes up short. I mean, if you make your life about making friendships, if you lose a friendship, if a friend backstabs you, if a friend leaves you, if a friend isn't there for you, your purpose starts crumbling. It starts falling apart. If your life is about helping people, you're always going to be kind of frustrated at people. Like, why doesn't everyone care as much about other people as I do? Why don't they give as much as I do? And it's always going to be this tension in your purpose in life and your experience of life. And if your life's all about success, you'll crush people to get wherever you need to go because it's a purpose of life. Everything is determined by that. And at the beginning of our text, Jesus is talking about the purpose of life. Um, and he does it by using the illustration of a house. And he says, look, God's got a big house. It's a massive house. It has a ton of rooms in it. And the goal in life is to go live in that house. That's what life is about. It's going and living in the house of the Lord. That's where I'm going, Jesus says. And I'm going to prepare it, those rooms for you. I'm going to, I'm going to fluff the pillows and make the sheets and um, uh, clean the bathrooms. I'm preparing a place for you. And the goal in your life is to get there. Your life is to go be with the Father. And if you've ever lived with someone, you know that is not just a formal kind of agreement arrangement that he's talking about. To live with someone is intimate and personal. I lived with nine other guys in college in a hundred-year-old house. There were ten of us living in a house together that had squirrels in the walls and roaches everywhere. Um, <clears throat> and um, when you live with people, um, you know, when, when I moved in with those guys, I knew some of them to varying degrees. Some of them I knew pretty well, and some of them I knew sort of well, and some of them I just kind of knew. But after just a couple months living with someone, you, realize, you find out who someone really is. Because to live with someone is to be intimate. Like, there's no way around it. You see when people come home, when they go, who they spend their time with, um, when they get angry, you know how messy they are, you know what they eat, you know how they spend their time, you know how they speak in private, you know how they treat people in private. Um, you share things, your, your food, your kitchen, your stuff, all of it is like very few boundaries when you live with someone. And I found when someone is hiding something, one of my friends was hiding something, they just wouldn't come home. They'd like disappear for a while. They'd stay with friends. They'd come home late, leave early because to live with someone, you just can't really hide because living with someone is complete intimacy. And so for Jesus to say that the meaning of life is to go live in the house of the Lord is a big claim because he's making a relational claim, an intimate claim, a claim that the Lord actually wants to know you because he's not saying you can come crash at my, on my couch for the weekend. He's not saying I have a guest house out back you can stay in. I own some rental properties you can stay in. He's saying I want you to live in my house, in my rooms. I want you to use my kitchen, in my stuff. 
I want to sit on the couch with you. I want to live in the same house as you. And that is a relational, intimate claim. And that's exactly the claim that Jesus is making. The purpose of life is not friendship. It's not knowledge about the Bible. It's not uh, living a really righteous life. The purpose in life is not actually even justification by faith. Justification by faith is the means by which you get to the ultimate thing in life. It is the penultimate thing in life, the thing before the thing. Justification by faith is the means by which we, be, we are with God, that we are made right with God, that we're able to know him. And so the purpose in life is to know God and to be with him, and that is an intimate relational claim. And I am not just talking about going to heaven someday. I, I didn't read it, and I don't think it's actually, I didn't, I didn't tell them to put it on the screen, but in verse 17, if you've got your Bible, Jesus says this, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What he's saying is, someday you'll go be with the Father. That's where you're headed if you have faith in me, which we'll get to. That's where you're headed someday. But for now, God's going to come live in your house. Someday you're going to go live in God's house, but in the meantime, God's going to come and live in your house. He's going to be with you. There is relational intimacy now that is real and tangible and is a foretaste of what will come in the resurrection. There is real knowledge of me that you can have now because the Spirit of God will come live with you and in you. So everyone believes that life has a destination, life is going somewhere, but it, almost all of it can be lost and the only true des destination in life is to go be with God. So that begs the question, how does one get to the house of God? And I'm not going to say anything that should be surprising. If you've been to church for any period of time, I hope you've heard this a hundred times. Um, and again, I hope this sinks in deeper. Um, there's a quote by the Buddha uh, that's relatively well known. I, when I was looking it up this week, I hadn't heard it before recently. It might be falsely attributed to him, but it certainly sounds like the kind of thing he would say. But he, this is the saying. It goes like this. If you want to draw water, do not dig six one-foot wells. Dig one six-foot well. That's the wisdom you get from the Buddha. Um, now, the implication of that quote is that every religious person is trying to find truth, right? Everybody's trying to find life, real life, fruitful life. Um, and if you want to do that, it, don't do a sampler platter technique to finding, don't, don't like take a little bit from Hinduism and a little bit from Buddhism and a little bit from Christianity. That's like digging six one-foot wells. Just pick one, dig all the way down, and have a six-foot well and really get to something. Now, do any of those religions really offer anything much different than the others? Not really, because the important thing is the destination. The means by which you get there is not that important. It's all about the destination. And that's a pretty popular way um, for people to understand today in our culture the plurality of religions, especially in my generation. It's kind of like how people in my generation, if, if, we, if you're trying to tell us how to get somewhere, just give us the address. We're just going to put it in a GPS. Like, if you start telling me to take 288 that links up, I'm just, I'm gone. Like, just, I'm just going to put it in my GPS. Because, right, the destination's all that matters. The way to get there, I'll figure that out. It, my phone will tell me. Um, that's the same mentality that the destination is what matters, not the way you get there. It's all about where you end up. And that's actually pretty similar to what Philip tells Jesus in verse 8 when he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Now, what he seems to be saying there is, 
God, uh, Jesus, we want a, uh, what theologians call a theophany, uh, a physical manifestation of God, like in the Old Testament, when Moses and Elijah and these others see a physical manifestation of God. He's like, God, if, Jesus, if you just show us that, that's enough for us. We'll know where we're going. That'll be enough for us, enough motivation, um, enough of a desire to get there. Just show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Again, the destination is all I need to see. I don't need to know the way. I just need to know the destination. But how does Jesus reply? He expounds on what he told Thomas. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Whoever has seen the Father, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. In other words, he's saying, I and the Father are so tightly bound together. You could not possibly get one and not have the other. You could not possibly get the Father and not have me. And you could not possibly get me and miss the Father. We are so tightly bound together that it is impossible for you to get to God, to know the divine, to find truth, ultimate truth, without knowing me. Because we're too tightly bound together, we are inseparable. If you think you found the Father, but I'm not a part of that, then you haven't found anything. You've found yourself at the bottom of the well. You've, you've just discovered what you want. And if you get me, if you understand me rightly, there's no way that you could miss the Father because we're so tightly bound together. And that means that if you reject Jesus, if you fail to embrace Jesus, you'll reject and fail to embrace the Father. Unless you accept Jesus, you'll never accept the Father. Unless you bow down to Jesus, you'll never bow down to the Father because they're too tightly linked. Now, what does that mean for you and me? It means that before you can have any kind of relationship with God the Father, you have to come to terms with one question, and that question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And no matter how long you've been coming to church, no matter how long you've been doing this Christianity thing, ask yourself right now, today, not a year ago, not last week, not when I first came to Christ, who is Jesus to you today? Who is he to you right now? What do you think about his life and his death and his resurrection? Did they happen? Are they real? Are they true? And until, cause, cause until you reckon with Jesus, you'll never really understand God. You'll never really know him. You'll always be kind of frustrated by him. He'll always be doing things that you, you can't accept or don't believe or can't trust because you haven't dealt with Jesus. You haven't dealt with the person of Jesus. Is Jesus just a way for you to deal with anxiety and stress in life? Or is he the way to the presence of the living God? Is he, uh, does he explain some truths that you, that you want? Or is he truth itself? Is he reality itself? Does he provide the means to get to eternal life someday? Or is he life itself right now? Life as it was meant to be. So who is Jesus to you? And if Jesus is the way to the presence of God the Father, how do you get Jesus? Again, this shouldn't be new. This is... This is basic, and it's written right in here in verse 11. Jesus says, we can pull up verse 11 if you would, verse 11 and 12. He says, believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because... I am going to the Father. Now that word believe is used 241 times in the New Testament. 
And um, the Lexham Dictionary says, it, uh, most of those indicate belief in the truth of a reality or a person. And so what Jesus is saying, if you want to know God the Father, if you want to find me, you have to believe in me. But it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just, I believe that this is true. I believe that I am in a room right now. That's a fact that I can um, just agree to. The word actually means to trust or to entrust, to entrust yourself to him. And so belief in Jesus is trust in Jesus. Now, if you've grown up in the church like me, I've heard that term trust in Jesus so many times, it almost starts to sound like a buzzword, right? Like, what does that even mean? I've heard that so many times. It's like when we sing holy. I don't know what holy means. Hallelujah, what's that mean? I sing it every Sunday, but I don't know what it means. What does it mean to trust in Jesus? This might sound foreign to us, but it shouldn't. If you've had a relationship with anybody, ever, that should not be a foreign idea to you. Because you know, if you've had a relationship with anybody, that trusting someone is essentially risk. You're risking something personal because you believe that there is a a reward that you will get out of that risk that is greater than the risk that you put into it. And so on a small scale, that might look like something like me waiting, asking you to um, drive me to the airport at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Some small risk there. I might miss my flight or be late if you don't show up or if you don't show up on time. But the reward is I get to go to the airport. I don't have to pay for an Uber. We get to have this great conversation on the way, right? Small risk, but there's risk and there's reward, and that's trust. On a medium level, it might look something like um, trusting someone with some personal and sensitive and potentially embarrassing information. Maybe you're struggling financially, and to share that with someone That's a risk, right? What if they judge you or ridicule you or say do better? What if they tell somebody else about it and break confidence? Or what if they do nothing? That would be maybe the worst. But the potential reward, someone who encouraged you, to love you, who might help you, is risk and reward. On a big scale, the biggest scale I can think of of relational trust and risk is getting married. When you get married, you risk it all. Your money your physical safety, your emotional health, your children, all of it gets pushed into the middle of the table and you say, I'm all in. But the reward, the reward is somebody who, um, somebody who actually increases your potential in life. Somebody who challenges you and is capable of the things that you're not capable of. Uh, a person who uh, is there for you in the difficult things in life. Someone who actually pushes and forms you into the kind of person that you were always meant to be in the Lord. That's the reward of marriage. But now to trust Jesus, that's a real risk. When you get married, you put everything you have in the pile. When you trust Jesus, you put everything you have, everything you want, everything you will be, all of that goes in to the middle of the table. You bet it all on Jesus. But the reward is greater than you could have imagined. To have a relationship with the God of the universe, the one who knows you better than you know yourself, the God who loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you, the God who desires to be with you, to have that kind of relationship, is there anything that is not worth that kind of risk? And because Jesus is life itself, you get back real life. When you put the life you have now into the center of the table, you get back the life that You didn't even know you wanted because you didn't even know how good it could be. 
In Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why would you sell everything you have and buy a field? Because you know that in that field is a treasure worth way more than anything you sold. In that field is the potential for a life you never dreamed you could have had. Wealth and riches that you never dreamed of. That's the only reason you would risk everything you have is because you know there's something better for you than you ever hoped could be true. It's possible you might be hearing this message for the first time or um, it's, it's hitting you for the first time and, and you're like, I want that and I need that. If that's the case, praise God. Talk to somebody about that. Come find me, come find Brian and Elder and, and talk about that. Say, I want to I trust Jesus. I want to risk things for Jesus. I want to be his. That's great. My guess is most of us fall into one of two categories this morning. The first one being uh, you might be a young believer which does not refer to age, necessarily. Um, you might be quite old and have come to faith late. Or you might be quite old and have done, been very busy with church activities for a long time, but never really known Jesus. Never really had a relationship with him. And this idea of knowing him and trusting him is foreign to you. And if that's you, if you're a young believer, um, you, might, you might have this little seedling faith that's real, it's growing, but a flood comes through, it's gone. Or, or talking to God is awkward. You're like, I pray, but it's weird. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't necessarily hear anything back. I read my Bible. I don't really know what, what's happening. I think what you need if you're a young believer is discipline. You need what anybody who's getting to know anybody needs, which is you need time. There's no replace, replacement in a relationship for time, for time with someone, for knowing somebody. Um, you need to be able to talk with God. You need, you need to schedule coffee every day. You need to text. You need to call. That's what we would do with someone, a person, if we were getting to know them. And you need discipline and discipline that turns into habit. And if you don't have that, well, I wouldn't expect you to get to know someone that you saw twice a year very well. And so I wouldn't expect you to get to know the Lord very well if you don't have any sort of discipline in your life. So that's if you're a young believer, but I would guess that there may be also many old believers in this church. And again, that doesn't refer to age. You might be in your 20s and never really have known a day apart from the Lord, and you followed him your whole life, and you know tons about the scripture, and you're very mature for your age. If you are an old believer, um, you may find yourself in a position where you're like, yeah, my faith is rock solid, but I kind of feel like I've a person who's been married for 30 years. Like, we know everything about each other, but that passion isn't there anymore, maybe. We're rock solid, but it's not white hot anymore. The spark is gone. Um, and if that's you, I don't know if I'm the right person to, to say this. I'm young, and I don't know if this is true or not, but my, my guess is you need an adventure with the Lord. Um, you need to risk something together. You need to step out in a way that you haven't stepped out before. And that's where the Lord meets you. You need to do something that's unfamiliar, maybe a little scary, to go in that place in yourself that I've never been there with anybody. I've never really been there with the Lord. I've never addressed that area of my heart and my life. Or I've, I've been feeling called to go do this thing and, and fill this position, and, but that's scary and I don't know if I want to do that. That's where you need to go. 
You need an adventure with the Lord. You need to risk something you've never risked and see the Lord show up and get to know him, maybe in a way that you've read in a book, but that you've never actually experienced. We'd heard about you by the hearing of our ear, but now we see who you are, Lord. So where are you with Jesus right now? How's your relationship with him? Is it new and fragile? You need some discipline. If it's old and stale, I think you need to deepen your belief, um, which means deepening your risk. So you were made for a relationship with God to live in his house and you can really know him and be with him through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to end by just looking at two stories that are found virtually back to back um, um, in the Gospel of Luke. And the first is a story of a man that we only know as the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he basically asks, how do I get to your house? How do I get to the house of the Lord? How do I get there, Jesus? Jesus says, well, sell everything, give it to the poor and come follow me. And Luke says that the man left very sad because he was extremely rich. The second story is the the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And um, he's the chief tax collector in this city, which means he's basically made a living of systematically ripping people off. And Jesus comes into Jericho and says, Zacchaeus, come in your house for dinner tonight. It's like, okay. So they go and have dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And some, at some point that evening, Zacchaeus, without prompting, says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus replies by saying, Today salvation has come to this house. Did you notice the difference in the response? It's not about the money. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus thinking, I know where I need to get. I know I want eternal life with, with, with God. That's where I'm going. I've done a lot of things in my life that I think should have gotten me there by now, but I have a sense internally that I'm not there. Jesus, teacher, will you point out the thing that I've missed so I can get on with doing it? He approaches Jesus like a signpost, not like a person. He says, point me in the right direction so I'll get myself to the Father. Jesus says, okay, risk it all and come follow me. And he's not able to do it because it's the one thing that he's not able to give up because he hasn't actually dealt with Jesus as a person. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus also has a lot to lose, but he comes to Jesus as a person. They have dinner together. They spend time with one another. And after that interaction, Zacchaeus stands up and says, basically, I'd go bankrupt to follow you, Jesus. I'll give it half of my money and the rest of it I'll use to pay back all the people who ripped me off at a rate of 400%. There's nothing I wouldn't give up for you, Jesus, because I see in you everything that I could ever want. You are the way to the Father. You're the way that I get to the house of the Lord. You're going to prepare a place for me. And I believe that. And if you're hearing me talk about risk and you're feeling convicted because there's some area of life that you feel is like, it's just off limits. It's just off limits to the Lord. I've never gone there. I don't really want to go there. I don't think God really even wants to go there. He does. And I would encourage you not to just say, just muscle through and say, okay, I've got to go do this thing. I encourage you to go back to Jesus and ask the question, who is Jesus to you? Who is he really? Because when you look at Jesus, you see someone who took on the weight of your sin so that it could be freed from you. 
You see the one who left the house of the Lord so that you could have a house. You could have a room in the house of the Lord. The one who gave up his spot with the Father, the one who was separated from the Father so that you could be with the Father. And when you look at that, is there anything you wouldn't give up? Anything you couldn't give up? Anything that you need to hold on to more dearly than that? He will be all you want because he's the way into the presence of God. He's the bedrock of truth and he's the life that you always wanted. So will you trust yourself to him as a person, as a relationship? Let's pray. Father God, I hope that this morning this has not been new information. Um, But I pray that it's been um, alive. Not, not just information, but um, truth in news, in good news for us. Um, God, I thank you that you have provided a way. We are not left to fend for ourselves and try to find a way to God and try to be good enough and try to do all the right things. You have made a way by our trust in Jesus. That's all that's asked, Father. And you will work in us to accomplish the rest. And God, would we with joy sell everything we have to go buy that field because there is life to the full in you and we no longer have to live the way we have been living in poverty, without hope. So Father, would you speak to us, uh, speak to our hearts this morning. Um, And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.